Oh, good evening, everyone, and welcome to take two of another edition of the Weekend Wrap brought to you by Crowcast. Apologies to those of you who experienced that little snafu. Um, for those who are listening on demand, we had a bit of a false start. So uh, we're back again. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> joining me is Macca and Nikki. How are you going, guys? Uh, same as I was last time. Very good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good too. <laughs> How are we all sounding on the chat? All good now, yeah. guys? Fantastic. Yay, crystal clear. Yay. <laughs> and in answer to Vardy, uh, no, that's not Macaron guitar. He wishes it was Macaron guitar. <laughs> but uh, if I told you who it was on guitar, you'd think I was full of shit. So uh, we'll just leave the uh, guitar person as a mystery guest. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was me. Um, anyway... <laughs> I, I was just just gave Mrs. Macca the guitar now. It's out the way. Oh, it's out the way now. As long as she's not doing the dishes, Macca, that's the main thing. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, no, let her off with a takeaway tonight. <laughs> Very good. All right, look, uh, let's get right into the scores roundup, shall we? Sure. All right. What a round of footy it has been, actually. It's been a fantastic uh, round of footy um, for, for the most part. Some really good games. Uh, starting on Friday night, Richmond over Geelong in the end by three point. The Little Master uh, failing to uh, give Geelong the match um, and Richmond getting up 85 to 82. It was a pretty good game to watch, I thought. Yeah, it was a very good game to watch. But uh, I agree with Dermot Burton. He uh, indicated that he thought that Ablett piked it because if he... Had him straightened up for, for the shot for goal, which he had time for, he would have got flattened after he kicked the ball. And he reckons he's hooked it deliberately so to make sure he didn't get uh, bumped into. And uh, whether that's true or whether it's not, I thought it was a very, very bad miss for a guy of uh, Abbott's calibre. And I will say this, he doesn't go in too hard with the ball these days. It was really hard towards the end because I'm like, I don't like either of you. I don't know who I want to actually win. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great game to watch. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was. Well, well yeah, I, I, I was about actually barricade with Geelong, much as um, I resent certain parts about Geelong. But um, Richmond, I just think they're given too many favours by the AFL with their uh, 193 games in a row or something at, uh, at uh, the MCG. It's about time that they should be sent travelling about six times a year, I reckon. I mean, Well, if they've got all those extra fans they now have, pretty sure they're around <laughs> the uh, country and, sh- and shouldn't they get to do- – they deserve to see their team play elsewhere. All, we all go those one-game members. Yeah. yeah, those ones. But we have to go to Buddy Alice Briggs and now we're going to Canberra. Richmond just sit there on the MCG every week. <laughs> well, look, you know, it is what it is and we can't complain, but it was a good game and Richmond uh, staying on top of the ladder, 85 to 82. On Saturday, we had another great game, Hawthorne over Essendon and the old rivals there and Essendon looking pretty likely for most of it, but uh, Hawthorne getting up by four points in the end, 107 to 103 and just quietly building Hawthorne, I reckon. Well... Yes, they are, but Essendon, um, I love the way they play. It was very kamikaze, but they do give you a chance. And uh, 
Hawthorne had the skills to take the, their opportunities and, and win the game, and uh, another good game to watch. Yeah, definitely. Did you see it, Nick? No, I was at a wedding. <laughs> Your own? Which? No. Did you get me? Is there something you need to tell us? No. Um, but if I, <laughs> you think if I was getting married, I would have it on a day that there's a freaking showdown. Well, I mean, seriously, no. you've got to question your friends at this point, don't you? <laughs> they, they know nothing about football, and it's only because I love her. <laughs> I would give up a football game to her, and one that was that amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, look, before we get there, obviously, we've got some other games. North Melbourne, another close one, three points uh, over Brisbane, and uh, Cam Rayner doing an early winds there towards the end, and uh, uh, North getting up in a very, very tight one at the Gabba. Yeah, and the young since you know, I tip Brisbane. Yeah, the young lad will you'll learn from that. But the the poor, uh, there's too much of this talking around the corner because uh, you've actually I know it's a, it's a excellent kick when you're on an acute angle. But why the hell he or uh, Wine for that matter, when they're virtually straight out in front, would would choose to do that kick? I just don't know. It, you know, and uh, in each case, they've cost their team the game. I wonder. If it's because when you do get a chance to do some goal kicking practice, etc., because there's not too much, or even if you're out with your mates, do you practice kicking out in front, or you, or do you all try and challenge yourself to have snap goals? So okay. I think that I reckon yeah. they're actually doing they're doing that snap practice a lot more instead of actually running straight at the goals or yeah, aiming the for com- the centre of the goal. Um, one of the commentators did raise that point. This. It's probably habit these days because they they do spend more, a lot more time practicing those type of kicks rather than straight kicks in front of goal. Well, <clears throat> I heard <clears throat> a little story from an unnamed source uh, who suggested that um, the sports science has infiltrated uh, AFL training regimes to the extent that um, the a lot of clubs are utilizing foot sensors in their boots. And uh, there's one club in particular uh, who doesn't like their players having more than 20 kicks in a training session. 20 yeah, I did ki- hear that. 20 kicks mm. in a training session. Ooh. Now, are we are we training for the Olympics or are <laughs> we training for AFL football? Because last time I looked, kicking and the skill of kicking, the art of kind kicking... Kind of integral? Is integral to the game, absolutely. Uh, blokes like Malcolm Blight would be turning in their graves. Even, sorry, Malcolm, you're not gone yet, but you know what I mean. Twenty kicks of training, you'd have twenty kicks in the kick to kick during the warm up, wouldn't you? What the hell? Yeah, you would. You, you would. should do. So yeah, very interesting, and I, I think it actually shows some of the shots uh, a goal on Saturday afternoon uh, in our game were horrific. Um, but anyway, move on. Um, St Kilda really not looking at all in the game at any point against Western Bulldogs. So the doggies getting up in the end, one hundred three to sixty eight. At Eddie had on Saturday evening. I think St Kilda actually jumped them early and got, got out to about a two or three goal lead, but um, that was it. And then uh, it made, made the Bulldogs look good after that. Bastards! I thought St Kilda were a chance. They were like my little roughy. This uh, this tipping round didn't work. They still say Kilda, though, Nikki. They still say Kilda. 
Yeah, they I'm don't have going, a lot of skills, St Kilda. They just seem to lack talent. Which is, ridi- which is ridiculous for such top-line draft talent they have. Um, it's the type of players they pick, though. Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. But also, I'd be looking for a different type, uh, different coach, I would. The other Saturday night game, and you could be right, Macca, that uh, could be on the cards at season's end. The other Saturday night game was also a belter. Sydney getting up uh, and keeping their season alive over Collingwood, uh, 73 to 71 at the SCG. A beauty, absolute beauty to watch this one. Um, yeah, you know, and full credit to Collingwood because uh, with the injuries they've had and, and injuries they also received during the uh, game, yeah, I thought they, you know, they were major, major problems. But um, see, they've got a lot more fight and spirit about them now, and I think Buckley's got them working as a unit. And um, if it wasn't for Buddy turning on a real Buddy special, um, Collingwood would have would have won the game. But um, yeah, Buddy's pulled one out, uh, out of the arc. I think it was a beauty. Mm. Um, out of the four not... games on Saturday, I only got one right, <laughs> and it wasn't that one. Uh-oh. Well, yeah. congrats! You got you got one this time, Nikki. Hey, I've actually been doing quite not too bad in tipping, but I thought Sydney have actually been not so good at home, and Collingwood they've they've actually been a pleasure to watch. I thought I thought they would get over the top of them. Look, I think injuries might um, might hamper Collingwood's push for a flag this season, but they're certainly on the rise. And uh, credit to Peter J, our Tuesday night offsider, who tipped them at the beginning of the season to really rise up the ladder, and he had it spot on. But Sydney winning uh, doesn't really do us any favours in terms of our slim uh, finals hopes, but uh, we'll get to no. that. No, I was um, cracking for Collingwood for that reason. But, uh, yeah. Um, look, today GWS belted Carlton 151 to 46, and GWS, I think, are emerging as Richmond's main challenger. And yay, we get to play them in the freezing cold. Yep. Uh, why, why are we going to bloody Canberra? I do not know. And I'm pretty angry about that. But, um, yeah, I watched that particular game because I love watching the skills of GWS. You know, Kelly, uh, Coniglio, uh, the, the, these, these, uh, Whitfield, the, these are real masters. And um, they've got pace, they've got skills. Kelly, you know, but they call Sean Berger, uh, Berger and Silk. This guy is Silk Plus. He's just, he's just an incredible footballer. He's so smooth. Either foot, doesn't matter. I just love them as a footballer. And I, and I really like watching them. And, I, and uh, if, if we're not going to go any good, I'd like to see them win the flag. Yeah, I, I think I would too. I think um, they present f- far better as a football team and probably as a football club um, out of the two expansion um, teams, in my opinion. Uh, and I think they've done their time. And uh, in our absence, I... I I wouldn't have any problems with GWS getting their maiden flag this year. And it's not going to be easy because they're going to have to win games at the MCG, which has been problematic for them. But uh, barring any unforeseen injuries, uh, I think they're going to be right amongst it. Uh, The last game today, or sorry, the second last game today, Melbourne thumping the Gold Coast. The Gold Coast, uh, since their uh, upset win a couple of weeks ago, that was basically it for them. Um, they've pulled up stumps, I think. Uh, they've got a very challenging off-season ahead of them, Gold Coast, with Lynch confirmed going, and Stephen May still up in the air, and I wouldn't mind betting he nicks off as well, to be perfectly honest. I think that might be one of the reasons why they gave Jared Witts the captaincy. Yeah, I sort of watched the game. It was men against boys. It was not not really a contest. Um, 
I, I, I don't know what the future of the Gold Coast is, and I can't see what it's going to be. I don't know how you can even rescue it, as you said, because, you know, I, I think male, you probably piss off as well, and um, they just got dragged from other clubs and other, other blokes who aren't good enough there because anybody who's any good gets out of there. And the, the fact that they were throwing money at him to try and keep him and, you know, and he's been there at the start and he has been fairly loyal, you know, to a point. They've got a good coach in this year, but he's just like, nah, I'm out of here. It, it's just quite seriously, fold that team up. Just just fold it up. Nicky, it would be, it'd be the sensible thing to do. Well, there's not many teams that have come out of Gold Coast in any code that have done really well. Um, I don't think any have worked up there, have they? Well, I mean, Rugby League, you've got the Titans um, that are probably going okay, but uh, in terms of um, soccer and and, and other teams, uh, and even Rugby League has been a struggle out of the Gold Coast, um, I don't see the point. I, I don't see Queensland as being a big enough potential market for AFL football. Uh, I can see why um, the AFL wanted to get into New South Wales because it is just such a big market um, yep. and massive in terms of media as well. But Brisbane doesn't, or Queensland doesn't really present the same opportunities. And I think what what they did with uh, implementing the Gold Coast was not only um, create a, a, a half-assed team, but they also severely undermined Brisbane. And Brisbane, aside from their, their golden years in the early 2000s, they haven't exactly been, you know, freewheeling it either. They've had to struggle and they've lost players. And I, th- I think they'd be better off making sure that the lines are really strong uh, rather than trying to get two teams going up there. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, the, the thing is that where where they do have that growth in strength in terms of numbers, etc., is actually in the women's league, mm. not in the men's. Yeah, I... I mean, that's. My, I don't think they'll abandon Gold Coast. I think they will absolutely throw money at Gold Coast, and it will continue to undermine the competition um, in terms of uh, inequity. Uh, they've got the the academy up there that I think that they're probably hoping will feed good players into that team. But really, it's a very long game they're playing with that club, and I don't know whether the competition can sustain it for too much longer. Anyway. Uh, and the last game, um, recently finished West Coast, comfortably getting up over Fremantle by uh, 58 points, 142 to 84 in West Coast's favour. Yeah, well, the talking point in this game, of course, is not the game itself. I was watching the game, and then in the background I saw uh, Gaff and Young Brayshaw going sort of hoppo-bumpo, having a little, a little word or two to each other. And then Gash, Gaff unleashes a left straight jab whack into the mouth of Brayshaw and pole axes him. He goes down and uh, it looked like he was out, out to it virtually. And, uh, of course, after that, then it became uh, pretty rough out there and uh, uh, to the point when uh, the, you know, the coach eventually had to take Gaff off because they were trying to kill him. Um, it, it was really ba- almost a reversion back of that 20 years to what happened after that, uh, just for a very brief period. And uh, afterwards, when Gaff was sitting down on the bench, he, he went to water because he realised what he'd done. Because it's mm. so far out of character for him. And, and he was actually crying at one stage there sitting on the bench. Mm. And uh, to, Sim- to Simpson's credit, he came down and then sat along, alongside him. 
and talk to him and obviously tell him that you know, we need you to pull yourself together, blah, blah, blah. It's too late now. It's all been done. And uh, when he went back out there again, he got absolutely cleaned up by two of the um, Frio players, and I think they should be reported for charging. Um, but uh, coming back to Gav, I think you can see about a probably a six-weeker there. Mm, not not good. Uh, Mackie, you could probably turn your mic up just a fraction and at the same time apologise for Hoppo Bumpo. What the hell is that, Hoppo Bumpo? <laughs> well, well, you just sort of, you know, like when <laughs> two little ban- bantams just uh, jumping into each other all the time. Hoppo Bumpo? Yeah. Come on, mate. You're better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, look, without further maybe, ado... Maybe, maybe I'm not. <laughs> let's get into the Crows v Power game, shall we? Because it was an absolute classic. And the only thing ugly about the game was JJ's goal, probably. Get ugly. Damn, that's ugly. That's in relation, in reference to Kenny's presser, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't think it was an ugly goal at all. <laughs> well, for a start, it wasn't a goal. So, <laughs> no, look, it was a fantastic game of football, an absolute classic, um, you know. And despite the controversy to the end, um, we would have been we wouldn't have been stiff to lose it, but by hell, it would have been an opportunity lost given the amount of ball we had and. The dominance in the stats that we had for the majority of the game. Adelaide getting up in the end by three points, 13 goals, 18, 90, pardon me, 96. That's 31 scoring shots to Port Adelaide, 14 goals, 9, 93, 23 scoring shots. So eight more scoring shots. And as we'll see in a moment, we dominated possession and dominated most of the stats. Uh, we just were untidy. I think there was a uh, there was a lot of pressure out of there, and there were players who were rushing kicks on both sides because the heat was on from the start, mm. um, and particularly from us, um, very much in their face, etc. But because of that notion of of how you're putting that heat on, it was kind of thought that there was pressure coming for you, even then there wasn't. So I, I think that's where a lot of it came, and a few people who are at the the ground. I've, I've read some of the. Um, people's recaps, etc., is that the, the wind was very tricky. Mm. So anything that was going up in the air towards the cathedral end, it was like, mm. you know, this might go, port, <laughs> this might not. Port kick 14 no. goals, nine. Didn't seem to worry them. No. Um, yeah, but how close to goal were they for most of them? Uh, but no, but Nikki, you know, on, Nikki. The, the thing is, we, we, do, we do miss a lot of You're at a wedding. Goals. Oh, we do. I was <laughs> at a wedding. And, at, and you know, at the moment, I've you know I've been saying it for weeks. Eddie's got the yips when it comes to a set shot, uh, and he, he just can't kick a set shot at the moment. And uh, uh, he really missed one, a very easy one. And then there was another one when he was thirty meters out, and he tried, tried to pass it off. With, you know, just uh, we we as uh, Felix said, we wasted the ball a lot. And was, oh, we and, did. And we also wasted scoring opportunities a lot. And you're partly right about the assumed pressure that 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 doesn't exist all game mm. because of the fact that that's the way it's been played. But if you have a look at the the guys that have got real quality about them, they take that assumed pressure and they still perform. And that's the the difference between the good players and the ones that uh, make up the uh, bottom end of the of the list. But it was an excellent game to watch. And uh, Finch is quite right. We really should have probably on the possessions of the. Of, 
that we had by comparison, the number of entries into our forward 50, we probably should have won by a bit goal. But, um, yeah, five to six, they sh- we should have. Yeah, that yeah. number of points. When I looked at the scoreboard afterwards, I went, what do you mean 18 points? Mm. Come on. Um, look, I think the, the biggest factor for mine coming out of the game is our desire. Um, it makes you wonder why it is that it takes a showdown to bring out that extra 1% in our players because that that was desperation that was desperately needed last week against Melbourne. Um, and whilst we show it in patches, um, that, was the, that was the most sustained... Um, example of desire from our team I think all season and um, <clears throat> and that's including the the, uh, the first showdown this year um, yes we're still a mathematical chance but by god we could have done with that effort last week um, when we were more than just a sniff um, but you know irrespective you can't knock the players they can only do what they can do on the day and I, I felt like the their desire uh, their ability to, to keep trying and keep plugging away even when they were burning so much of the ball was was a huge positive um, and I think once some structural issues were sorted out at half time and we stopped leaking goals over the back because we were pushed up so high down back um, you know we kind of stemmed the flow a little bit from Port Adelaide um, you know we were right in the hunt but it, it was certainly um, a game of effort and uh, as a Crows fan I guess that's really what you want to want to see every time you rock up to a game, isn't it? Yep, and uh, I'm like you. Um, and it is a, it's actually a criticism of the players that they will pull out such an effort for a showdown but not for another game. Uh, they sh- it should be that type of effort every week. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes it fair for you the whole, you know, giving 110% because, as we all know, that's mathematically impossible, which means that... The players themselves don't realise their ceiling or don't play to their ceiling and I understand it's a long season and everyone has down games and, and form slumps and all the rest of it but there, there were there were blokes that played um, what you would normally say is above themselves but is obviously to their capacity um, last yesterday afternoon and uh, that needs to be their benchmark for the remainder of this season and certainly next season. Um, because if they can play like that one week, they can play like that every week. Um, so that, I, um, and that's not a criticism because I, you know you walk away from a game like that and you feel proud to be a Crow supporter because by God they cracked in and some of the youngsters like Colucci uh, made some fantastic attacks on the ball at the death in the clutch, um, and you know it was fantastic to see. But you you want the coach to be able to sit down on Monday review and go All right, well that's the benchmark. That's how we can play. And if we tidy up disposal in our forward entries and get our defensive structure a little bit more solid, there's no team in the competition that can beat us with that intensity. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. We just don't deliver that every week. Um, but Dude, I thought um, he started a little bit wobbly, but as the game went on, he just got better and better and better. And, um, and Keith, he, I thought he was very good all, all day. And mm. um, these are blokes that... that they're actually playing a game under finals pressure and almost greater than finals pressure um, because there's a lot of hatred in the game as well. And um, it's good for their development. And I think the, the three players we're talking about, they, uh, they will really benefit from this particular game 
and the win as well. They realise it with extra effort, what it means. Yeah, quite a number, I think, of young lads. Um, But we'll get to that, Maka. You know the format, so let's get into the head of the head stats. Can I just say one thing? No. Um, Yes. Just, just one thing on on that whole thing about you know that lift and that pressure and everything else. I think the crowd also has a lot to do with that because are we going to get up and make that noise for an opposition that isn't Port? I think that's um, a really good do, point, Nikki. We, really good we point. We do it against Richmond. We'll do it against Geelong because there's there's a nice little hatred there. But sometimes another team gets a run on, that crowd can get a little bit deflated. And just listening and um, watching that last quarter, um, just half an hour, well, almost half an hour before we went to it, um, you could just, that, that crowd noise, you could just hear and keep, keep going and keep going. And I think that psychologically has a bit to do it as well because it's such a cauldron noise that goes on in there. Mm. So I, I think that does have a little bit to do with it as well. Yeah, 100% agree with you, Nick. Um and, you know, it's not having a crack at supporters. We had 50,000 rock up there. You know, it was jam-packed. But, again, uh, you know, does the does the hatred for Port Adelaide supersede the desire to get the team over the line in a do-or-die game against Melbourne, for example? You know, where, where, was, that, where was that fever pitch support when we needed to get the team over the line against Melbourne? And, and you know... It, People love watching the Crows and people love, like, the Crows are part of many people's lives. But, um, you know, it's probably worth yeah, there, remembering there was a that bit we're of there. Weather that kind of held you back from cheering and when you're stuck under a poncho. Yeah, I know, but the players are out that there. Absolutely. They are, but we can't really <laughs> clap too well, etc. jump around because you're being pelted with rain. Yeah, no, look, I understand. But the, the point stands, I think, that, that there are. As a supporter base, um, if it's not enough for us to support our club and and to uh, you know clap politely, we need to recognise moments in the season as well. And moment and Melbourne was a real moment in the season. That was really our last chance um, to make finals. And um, you know the crowd can't estimate, supporters can't underestimate the importance. So the, the players continually mention showdown crowds and how much it lifts them and I'm sure it lifts Port Adelaide in their home showdowns as well and it'd be great if we could even get you know 95% of that um, at other games that have more significance Well it's hard to argue with what you're saying um, it'd be nice to be that to be that fanatical every week but I must admit I, I can turn into a rabid monster for a Port game <laughs> Oh we all can Macca, you know, but I mean, there's been 45 of them now. There's been 45 showdowns. You know, the 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 original. Um, it, it actually surprises me because I, I, my impression is that the WA Derby is not quite as fervent as ours. I mean, they still have a fair um, crack at each other, but you know, I, it's a unique Blow set of up. circumstances in South Australia simply because Port Adelaide are an existing team that everyone's hated for a hundred years, aside from Port and Adelaide they, supporters. So it's a Carlton Collingwood situation, I guess. I don't know. <clears throat> like their team at the moment? Anyway, um, let's look at some head-to-head. We got uh, we had more of the ball, 390 disposals to 327. Uh, we're a bit more handball-happy than... Port, um, 
a, probably a 1 to 1.5 ratio for us. Uh, therefore, we took more marks, 95 to 81 uh, contested marks. We were slightly ahead, 19 to 16. Uh, our uncontested possessions, uh, where the hell am I? Uh, 223 to 183. So that again follows on from last week. And, and again, there was a bit of a lift uh, at times during the match when we were under the pump. We, it seems to me that when we're under the pump, we try we try to gain control of the game by maintaining possession and our uncontested numbers go through the roof. Um, but uh, the problem is that if you if you haven't got your disposal efficiency up at that time and if you're not transitioning the ball quickly when you do have control of the ball, then really you play into teams like Port's hands because they just sit behind the ball and wait. Mm, they do, Absolutely. Um, tackling was really good, 70 to 52, uh, and tackles inside 50 were a feature, 19 to 6, um, and I think a lot of those That's actually was, came in the first quarter. I was going to ask those numbers. Yeah. Um, we were really in their faces. We didn't let them get a lot of clean ball in tight. It was only when they were able to break away um, and get us over the back that they were getting clean disposal, but there was a ton of pressure across our half-forward line, which is where... The majority of the play seemed to sit, um, and you couldn't fault our players' intensity in that department. <clears throat> Source got pretty well outrucked again by a, a lame Paddy Ryder. You got to say, I reckon Paddy was underdone. But didn't, but didn't they both have like the same amount of hitouts? Hitouts to advantage. Advantage, yeah, it was yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything if they're winning more hitouts in general. Then, generally speaking, it, it shows one ruckman's dominance over another, and we'll go into the individuals and have a look at that a bit closely in a moment. Um, frees were even, and the good thing about the free kick count, uh, and surprisingly for a, for a game of such high intensity, there's only tw- uh, 25 frees paid for the game, and you know, yes, there were some contentious ones paid and, and missed, but I don't, I don't mind. Um, the umpires at least being consistent and you either pay the first one, which is what I prefer, and your free kick count is quite high, or you put the whistle away. And I think the umpires decided to, by and large, put the whistle away. And, um, you know, for the most part, I felt that they were consistent. Well, okay. Yeah, they gave, they gave away an equal soft 50 to both sides. Yeah. I, yeah, Ro- Ro- Rosebury cancelled out Nichols. That was so good. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, dude, no. <laughs> I'll, when I get a chance, I'll just, I'll just make sure we'll leave them one up here. Yeah. I don't think Nichols is a fan of our team. Though. No, not really. No. Look, no, I think no, where no. we. Where we won it was in clearances and stoppage. We had 44 to 34 clearances, um, which was a marked improvement on last week. Around the stoppage, 29 to 22, uh, and in the centre, we slightly shaded them 15 to 12 in spite of uh, riders' um, hit-out advantage. So that probably feeds into what you were saying, Nick. Uh, Rebound 50s, we were down 31 to 47, which I think is a reflection of what I was saying earlier, that the game was really played across our half-forward line. Inside 50, 69 to 47. If you don't mind, we should have won by 10 goals. And what else have we got here that's worth talking about? Metres game, we're 500 metres up. Um, turnovers were even. Intercepts were even. So that's really the tail of the tape in terms of the head-to-head stats. It probably well, points know, to just as a, a clearance and contested ball dominance leading to a win in the end, Macca. 
Yep, and but also it, it illustrates that we should have done better than we really did because um, if you look at the, the, the disposals, the clearances, uh, the inside 50s, uh, the contested ball, the tackles. Um, well, we're up. We are up by about twenty to thirty percent in all of those categories. And that's a fair amount of dominance, really. And um, the only thing that, um, that surprised me about the stats was that Port Adelaide, for some reason, didn't use nine of this, which is ten percent of their allowance. Which, um, you would have thought they would have been working at trying to, you know, keep fresh legs on the ground. But um, I don't think they that, have the stock. Okay. Well, that might be the point. But um, really, we should, I think, we. Uh, I keep saying, we probably should have won by five to six goals with the opportunities we had. And Port Adelaide did play exactly the type of game you said, Phoenix. They, they sat back um, and uh, had a lot of players back, waiting for us to kick the ball there and then trying to uh, kick goals on the burst the other way, the other way around. And... Um, uh, yeah, but as I said, better usage of the ball, we would have won by a lot more. Well, I was continually surprised by the commentators saying that Port had more class and we had more grunt because I, I that's not the way I perceive. That's not what I saw. No, I, the Port um, were able to look a little bit more classy because of the way the game was played. Um, but Hinkley has a real... Um, a negative style of game and uh, you know they rely on a couple of stars they rely on Dixon hitting up and they rely on Gray and and Wingard to to dive around and kick goals and you know the rest of it is just basically you know British Bulldog from half back whenever they force a turnover and just you know sheer outweighing numbers and once once we address that um, that quarterback position in the second half and we weren't leaking so much out the back um, they they started to find it more difficult to find avenues to go. And I, if I was a Port fan, I don't know whether I'd be particularly excited about the way that Kinkley coaches them. Well, I, I totally agree with you because I don't think he's got too many too much imagination about his coaching at all. Yeah, but um, they only kicked five goals after half time. I mean, you know, granted we kicked we only kicked we kicked six goals ten after half time. They kicked five goals four. So sixteen scoring shots to to um, sorry they yeah five got sixteen scoring shots to nine after half time after a pretty bright first quarter from Port kicking five three um, same as us and then four two in the second that, you know once once as I said once we stopped that over the back stuff um, and tightened up in that area even when Tars went down we still had that covered just structurally. Um, they didn't have too many other avenues to go, really. No, they didn't. They didn't. Um, then Robbie Gray, and who I don't think was the best on ground, and we'll talk about that later, but um, Robbie Gray did kick four goal and, and because he has got a lot of talent. And uh, without a player like him, well, it would be, it, I, he had his virtue manufacture some of those goals with his own skill. Um Take him out of the game, and then I think it would have been an absolute thrashing. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, Lucky Brown had 19 touches, and we'll get to individuals in a moment. But, you know, Gray got a couple over the back. He took one good mark against Brown uh, in that pocket. Um, yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and fair play. It was a good mark. Um, but uh, I, I'm with you, Mac. I, I didn't. 
I didn't see him as best on ground, and to be honest with you, I think it's a cop-out from Hinckley that they don't play Gray in the middle. Now, whether that's um, whether that's because of his fitness, uh, I'm not sure. Um, but if, if I was a Port supporter, I'd be demanding to see Robbie Gray play more minutes in the midfield because I, as much as he does kick your goals and he's a bit of a... A bit of an eddy of old when it comes to creating opportunities from nowhere. Um, mm. You've got to be able to get the ball down there. And to me, they don't have enough class in their midfield. Um, you know, once we shut Polick down, I mean, David McKay was horrific on Polick early. Um, but once we shifted Knight uh, onto a bit of a run with, with Polick and shut him down a bit, they didn't have a lot of run through their midfield, and their midfield isn't a running midfield. They Rockliffe, no, Ebert, Boke, they're, they're all they're all one and wines. You know, there's not a lot of pace through there. Really, only Chad Wingard, and he doesn't play a lot of midfield minutes. So he's playing the wrong game. He should be in uh, high high diving. He just uh, he's a brilliant diver. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I mean, I think in the end, I think we actually had too much class in the midfield, um, and. You know, let's get to some individual... Clearances prove that. Well, exactly right. But not only clearances, I think the the manner in which we uh, clear... I mean, uh, let's look at some individuals. I mean, we had Bryce Gibbs uh, on 29 touches, 22 kicks and seven handballs. Should have got the the nod. He was best on ground. Nine inside 50s, four clearances, four rebound 50s. Went at 76%, uh, gained a 658 metres, um, spent 82% time on ground. I, I felt like we played Bryce a lot better than last week, um, guys. I, I felt like the disparity between his forward numbers uh, minutes and his midfield minutes was too skewed to the forward line last week, whereas I think it was flipped uh, this week, and he was instrumental in that second half. Absolutely. You got it right spot on. Last week he was... Uh, wasted, and this week uh, he was used appropriately. And who was back in the team, which I think has caused a bit of a, a difference there? Ellis Yolman. Yeah. yeah, he did. He did well, but you know, to me, Gibbs, I cannot believe Gibbs did not get the uh, get the the medal. He was easily the best, uh, the best on ground. And I thought Robbie Gray's also, um, well, I don't know what the word is for it, but. I thought he uh, looked very, very classless the way he treated the medal after he got presented it. Yeah, I, yeah, I think Gray is a fantastic player. I really do. Um, but I think his attitude and and um, blokes like Wingard and Westhoff and and those blokes that just dive around and I, I think it's indicative of a mindset at that club. Um, Gray in another team. Would would be an out and out champion, um, and I don't know. Except Geelong. Well, yeah, but he'd, he'd still be playing exactly the same way for free kicks if he was in a team like Geelong or Richmond. But put him in a team like us, that shit would not fly. Yeah, well, and, and that's and that's the problem is that he lets himself down by playing for those free kicks, and and that last contest with Gallucci. The ball was there to be win, uh, won. We were in front. They needed to win the ball. His way of winning that ball with all of his football talent is to try and play for a free. Yeah, Westhoff did the same. Yeah, Westhoff precisely. did the same. And, and I, it was just ridiculous. No, no one will convince me that Robbie Gray didn't contribute to his concussion the other week. Um, oh, I, 
Yep, I, and I think we have actually said this about him previously prior to that, that um, when we have discussed him, that he doesn't protect himself. In fact, he invites that mm, kind of table and, he, and he's going to hurt himself at some stage yeah. and it happened yeah. and he hasn't <laughs> learned. Actually, yeah. PJ Crowe gets a nod for me for the comment of the night. Wingard plays for a free for holding... Where are we? Come yeah. on, Wingard pays for a holding free when he has the ball. Yeah, it's actually called a tackle. <laughs> um, no. Look, no, um, no. Bry- no, Bryce no. was fantastic. I, I agree. I, I felt he was uh, overall the most influential player on the night. Um, Matty Crouch also, 35 touches, 16 and 19, uh, kicked a very critical goal towards the end there. Eight tackles as well. Seven inside, 57 clearances, uh, 18 contested possessions. Disposal efficiency a little bit down, uh, and I, th- I felt like he burnt it early, um, but tidied that up as the game wore on and ended up uh, with uh, nearly 500 metres gained for us, uh, six intercepts, and, and I felt like... Matt worked himself into a little bit of 2017 form towards the back end of last night. Yeah, he, he, I thought he had a very good game, actually, and uh, and I thought he he was the, the only logical uh, challenger in my mind to Gibbs for best on ground, and, but I thought Gibbs was. But Krause, he played very well. Yeah, definitely. Um, look- I can't really comment because I haven't seen the third quarter yet. No, and he did. Uh, what did you think of his first half then in isolation, Nick? That'd be interesting. It actually wasn't too bad because I've read a lot of the comments beforehand. Everybody said how shite he was and how shite Smith was and how shite McKay was. And I'm watching the game going, they're actually doing some really nice stuff. Um, I thought he actually wasn't too bad in that first half. The disposal needed to be cleaned up. But I think a lot of it, and he was fumbling um, ones where we know he's been a lot surer at taking those balls Mm. um, previously. And that was that whole perceived pressure, which I've talked about earlier, that I was noticing. Um, and I think, obviously, once that tempo kind of settled down, he those things didn't happen so much in the second half. Yeah. Is that more a reflection? Yep, that's fair. Um, look, Rory Atkins, I felt, had his best game for the club probably ever. Maka. Yep, uh, yep, I'm with you. 23 kicks, 6 handballs for 29 dis- disposals, 11 marks, 5 tackles, 9 inside 50s, um, and probably the cleanest of all our, um, even probably cleaner than Bryce in terms of his efficiency in the forward 50, um, 3 rebound 50s as, as well. Um, went at nearly 70% disposal efficiency, 8 score involvement, 676 metres gain. Did turn it over a bit again early, Um but uh, I felt another one too. Once, once the once the game came to them and they were sort of absorbing a bit more of that pressure and, and were able to be a bit more settled, I, I felt like we saw some of Rory's uh, old composure. Um, Very good game. I agree. I think it's the best game he's played for the club. Yeah. Um, and that's what you want to see. I mean, it's probably... I mean, the game still was played a little bit on Rory's terms because whilst it was hard in, in the clinches, it wasn't the same sort of scrimmagey, scrambly game that Rory struggles in, like against, you know, say, a Sydney on a small ground. But I don't think Rory's the type of player that you can necessarily rely on in those games, but you just want him to stand up. And I, I felt like there were moments in the game uh, that were high-pressure moments last night where he did stand up 
and I didn't notice him squib anything. I didn't notice him making decisions to stay out of the play at any stage, and uh, his disposal um, was really um, uh, critical to, to our success in the end because he was spotting up targets really well. Uh, um, there was always a Crows player on the lead right behind it. Mm. So they were actually going to be beautiful passes and he was keeping them low. And because he's actually um, going for quite a bit of penetration with his kicks, it, was, it seemed to actually be a bit of a conscious decision for him to be trying to keep them a bit lower because of that wind. Um, well, Rat was one of the few. Rat and Gibbs were probably the two that were really lowering the eyes going into forward 50. Rat spotted up yes. a couple of beauties. One off the right that I remember that he spotted up was particularly good. And there was a lot of bombing into our forward lines for not much gain, but uh, when the ball got in Rat's hands or, or Bryce's hands, um, they tended to be dropping the eyes a bit and looking for that 30 to 35 metre out spot up and uh, it was far more effective and I wish we were able to do a little bit more of that, but obviously Port Flooding back made that a bit problematic. Um, Just on Gibbs, it's amazing how good players seem to have that little bit more time to get rid of the ball and um, you're you're 100% right about what Gibbs was doing and Sometimes he would actually be looking at had one option, then he'd see a better option out the corner of his eye, change it to that one. So, I mean, I just think it's amazing how other players are always getting rushed, and yet the classy ones like Gibbs, they've got that little bit of time. And, and it's time with the ball, but it's also their ability to take advantage of that extra split second with their vision, Macca, because you're right, they do... You know, it's like an NFL quarterback. You know, they're in the pocket and they've got... Um, you know, rushes coming at them, uh, but they're able to spot one, two, three, four options before they let the pass go. And in AFL footy, when you've got that sort of... I mean, Darren Jarman was obviously the classic where he seemed to have all the time yeah, in the world, yeah. and there's been a few others, but um, Gibbs is definitely one of those where you can actually see him ticking off options before he takes one. And um, uh, I thought Atkins uh, was very good uh, in that, uh, department as well last night that he was picking good options uh, rather mm. and he wasn't hanging onto the ball as much in close you know he tends to hang onto the ball and get tackled um, but we didn't see as he much he did a nice fend off mm. um, look Sloney's game I thought particularly in the first half uh, was exceptional uh, and then a couple of great moments late uh, he was getting worn by his nemesis uh, Ebert all night and I, I felt like he had the better of that contest um, he was certainly more damaging than he, but I thought. 14 and 12 for 26 touches, uh, six marks, kicked two goals, one, three tackles, four inside 50s um, from Rory. Uh, also 10 contested possessions, went at 73%, uh, nine score involvements, four intercept possessions. Uh, probably uh, Rory's best game for a little while, I thought. Yeah, the stats are they're very good stats for a guy that was uh, tagged quite heavily by Ebert, and uh, there's no doubt uh, Sloan took the honours. He had 26 uh, disposals, and Ebert only had uh, 20, and I think that if you, if you... I don't know what Ebert's efficiency rating was, but I'm, I'd be sure that Sloan's was higher. No, Plus I, Ebert went at 80%, but I think that's because a lot of Ebert's possessions were in oh, close. He had 15 handballs. Handball. Yeah, yeah, tiny little handballs. Yeah, I, don't know what his, I don't know what his kicking efficiency was, Macker. I'm sorry, but you're probably right. He only gained 164 metres for the night, so that probably bears that out, what you're saying. Yeah, he's a massive turnover by foot. He really is. Um, 
Uh, I remember him in his West Coast days. He kicked the ball out of bounds on the full more than I've ever seen a player do. But, uh, <laughs> it was very skinny ground, man. It was skinny ground. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, um, but that, that is interesting. He's never had a good kick. No, no neither his old man was silk. But um, and coming back to Sloney, though, yeah, no, honest to Sloney, I thought um, if he could handle a tag like that every week, we'd be laughing. Well, what we saw, Macca, I think was Sloney paying less attention to the tagger and more attention to the ball, which is what we've been calling right, yep. for, for for some weeks yeah. now. Um, yeah. And I think the more Rory does that, and what we actually also saw from Sloney is something that we haven't seen for bloody months, is getting out on the open on that outer wing or towards half forward and having a ping from the 50-metre line. When was the last time we saw Rory do that? Yeah, I know. It was fantastic yeah. to see him get out in the open and actually use his gut running. Uh, to get free. So, no, great game from Rory and good to see him back in a bit of touch. Wayne Millerer just continues uh, this upward trajectory of half-back and I know that he turned it over a lot early and he fumbled early, um, but don't you love to see a young lad take the game on and try to be creative and not get... He's obviously been given licence by Don and, and the defensive coach um, to continue to have a crack. Um, and to my way of thinking, the more he has a crack, uh, he will eliminate those errors out of his game. And uh, apart from a couple of fumbles early and a, a couple of turnovers, I thought he was fantastic. Uh, 14 and 8 for 22. Sorry, Mac. Four marks, four tackles, three inside 50s, five, uh, sorry, six rebound 50s, nine contested possessions, went at 78%. Gained his four twenty nine meters and eight intercept possessions and uh, wow what a what a springboard for us off halfback. When you've got an individual like Wayne Miller who's got um, untapped talent and heaps and heaps of it, um, your your point is very valid. Even though they make a couple of uh, boo boos and might cost you goals early in the piece, you encourage them to keep doing it because they've got such great skills that it's like a McLeod as they come good. They end, they end up they end up dominating, and I just thought as they, this game went on, Miller had just got better and better, and, and in the end, he was a a driving force from the back lines. I think what really stands out to me is that kind of what you hinted at there earlier, Phoenix, is that whilst he makes those mistakes, he doesn't drop his head, he doesn't let those mistakes go. Oh, I, I stuffed this up. I'm I'm then get a bit scared to make that same mistake. He's like, I'll try it again. Let's see what happens. And that that confidence to go, well, that one didn't work. I'll try and figure out why it didn't work and fix it for next time. But I'm going to do it again. I think I'm you're right, I'm going to try and attack. And not only and, that. And, sorry, go on. Yeah, well, it, it's just it's that confidence he has to be able to do that. That's That's a great growth as a player. And you can just see what he's going to be able to do, and it's going to be amazing. Well, yep, I think I agree. The, the other the other thing that I've noticed with him this season, one of the criticisms last year that we had um, with uh, Junior was that he didn't stay in the contest for long enough. Um, but this yeah. season, you'll notice even when he stuffs up, he's often the one that will be running through to make the tackle to try and get win the ball back. So he's staying in the contest far longer, um, even even when he's made those errors, he's not dropping his head. And you get the impression that he is a bit of a confidence player and he's obviously been given licence um, to continue to try. And I think it it, it it augurs well for his future because um, 
he's he, now that he's built up some core strength and he's able to break those tackles and he's got the confidence to evade, um, he's uh, he's going to be some player. Uh, uh, what I think is going to be a very sharp upward curve and he's going to end up to be a real gun. And two years' time, he'll be a real gun. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is that I often hate if pay, uh, players are going in for the bump and when you should be tackling. But in that last section of the game where he put that bump on Boak, it was actually the right decision to make. The perfect – so choosing when to bump and when to – Tackle as well is is quite a skill, and that was just executed to perfection. Mm. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing is, though, they're so head conscious these days, and quite rightly so. I mean, the the average player, and I know I've got you, when you bump, you actually in the old days you try you would before they brought the, the head being sacrosanct. You are actually trying to give the head a bit of a bang as well when you're doing it. And um, <laughs> no, you you were. It's quite odd if you're honest about it. No, if you're honest about it, you were. I don't. And, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> Macca was a dirty player. He was a dirty oh, well, I player. Did, I did get rubbed out a bit. They, they didn't call him <laughs> elbows Macca for nothing. Uh, no, but the I mean, you was, are trying. Get, the point is, you you do try. You are trying to shake someone up when you give them a bump. Uh, absolutely. Exactly, you, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, I try to hurt them. And then, uh, but these days, I think what they build is good. You can't hit the head, and I think. Uh, and, and Nicky's point is very valid. It takes a very skillful player not to hit the head, actually. Mm. Yep. Well, it takes good execution. Look, speaking of stars, Tom today, uh, two games back from his concussion, just continues to impress. And uh, 21 touches, took nine marks, including uh, four and 14 intercept possessions, if you don't mind. Uh, kicked goal as well, two tackles, uh, three inside 50s, went at 95 percent disposal efficiency if you don't mind um 11 contested possessions i mean the kid is just an out and out champ no argument for me <laughs> i'm just gonna sit here and grin and go told you so yeah although i knew he was going to be good i just didn't think he was going to be as consistently as good as he has been this season i thought no. there would be a few little fluctuations because a younger player, but he did show that similar kind of consistency at our NFL level. But to take that step up and just perform like he's a hundred game player, he he should be. Whilst Brainer and Stevenson are great players as well, and they've done really well in in their first year, they've still also shown some first year player kind of you know jitters in a way, and Tom. To be fair, he is that little bit older and he's had the season playing against senior bodies in the SNFL. But that composure is just phenomenal. Look, and and his ability to think about the game is stunning. Stevenson and Rayner are no doubt great players, but Stevenson plays as a small forward. And yes. Rayner plays probably 50% forward and 50% mid. And to me, in terms of importance to a team... Um, Duda's role with us is far more important, far more important, and carries far more pressure yes, than and either I think of those I think two. I it loads. is actually hold harder. Well, it is because, particularly because with the, our game plan. You know, when we are pushing up high, he's often, he's often the last defender or, or finding himself one out, and often against a taller opponent. And you know, when we're doing con- comparisons between him and and uh, Jack Lever, 
the thing I think that Tom wins out over Jake is uh, Tom's ability won out when he hasn't got that um, that support. I think far exceeds uh, Jake's one-on-one uh, capabilities. I agree with you. Well, he, he do, says do, he you think, do you think Lever would ever stand on Dangerfield? No, well, he wouldn't have the pace, let, let alone anything else. He wouldn't have the pace. You know. And yet, who did we, who did we put on Dangerfield at times? Chaney. Today. <laughs> well, well, I've got to say, no. Nick. I know. Dude, I'm I was teasing. on him a couple I'm of times. I'm just teasing you. No, Nick, you, you know, this is, this is one for you. And uh, I think you made a prediction for next year too. Yeah, well, you, yeah well, the, well, let's uh, worry about that later. All right. <laughs> Come on, mate. Oh, you, yeah, I think I know. I'm not the only one, uh, Peter. Oh, um, Peter's also quite keen on, yeah. We're all quite keen on Himmelberg. Absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's a good kid, that one. Yeah. Hey, um, Ellis Yolman, uh, I felt, was really good in tight. And you rightly pointed out earlier, Nikki, that he, I think he allows our midfield structure to be a little bit better with Bryce on the outside of the contest. Uh, 11 and 8 for 19, five marks, uh, had seven tackles, three inside 50s, five clearances, eight contested possession, went 85% or 84.2% disposal efficiency. Gained us some nice meters, 355, which is sometimes the uh, the quibble with uh, Ellis Yeoman. And I, I felt like the minutes that he played inside were really valuable at crucial moments. He, uh, he has that capacity to stay strong over the ball and uh, doesn't get beaten at the at the coal face very often when he's in the play. I thought he added something, another dimension into the game as well in the sense that um, he did a lot of the grunt work that Greenwood would normally do. And um, if I had it right, it looked to me like Greenwood was uh, tagging Wines, and uh, Wines had barely touched the ball in the in the first half, in particular. And uh, I thought at times that um, Greenwood was really uh, riding him very, very hard indeed, but allowing Ellis Yolman to do the hard work to get the ball. The other thing I I kind of noticed was you were talking about Gibbs and that little like balking and making the space, etc. Cam also seems to have that bit of ability. He just has that um, that he can just do that little break and a little half circle to step back away from the contest, which leaves his opponent trying to chase him. But it gives him that space to make a decision, and he just he seems to be moving in slow motion. But the people chasing him don't seem to get quicker. Yeah, I think uh, the only knock on on Alice Yeoman in that respect. Um Nicky is that I don't think he's quite as good a decision maker as he could be. Um, no, but but really, his go is to to get in and under and get the ball out. And uh, I felt like he, you know, it's difficult because at, at times when we play all of Crouch, Greenwood, and Yolman, we look cumbersome and slow. And yet at other times, um, it, it seems to allow us more freedom on the outside, and it just makes you wonder whether it's the way the game is played or whether it's midfield structure, you'd, you'd have to really sit down and analyse each of those games where we've played those three lads. But um, I think what may help Cameron is the fact that we've discovered that Huey can actually play some really valuable forward minutes. Um, and I th- and Cam Ellis-Yolman has also shown an ability to play forward uh, at times. So whether that just adds into that rotation and allows room for both of them in the team, I'm not sure. But certainly on Saturday afternoon, he played an exceptional game, I thought. 
I think where it is is those when it's played well <laughs> is when we're up against a midfield that doesn't have elite speed. Yeah, that's exactly right. And Port, Port don't have that, um, and so that's okay. one of those games. So we can go with them, and we don't look as exposed. Yeah, Brent yeah, on the right chat um, makes that very comment. You wouldn't play CUI against GWS. Well, you're right. I, I, well, you certainly wouldn't play both of Cam Ellis Yeoman and. Huey Greenwood in the same side against a side like GWS. So um, you, you're probably right. It's probably a horses for courses situation. Yeah, that's an interesting one because uh, we are playing GWS next week. And um, uh, and he played yeah. well and he deserves to be in the team again. Yeah. I know, but they're, 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 so. they have a very quick midfield. So, um, and, and again, it, it comes back to this... Um, the professionalism of, of AFL and how you run your squad. I mean, it, it should be no insult to Cam if he gets dropped for the GWS game because we should be mature enough uh, to be able to recognise that matchups matter and Cam or, and or Hugh should be grown up enough and the coaching staff should be uh, mature enough in their communications with, with lads that matchups do matter and there are times when... Uh, you know, uh, there's not room for two inside grunt players like the, both of them. And I think as AFL progresses and matures, we're going to see more of this squad management where, you know, at times we might play three tools up forward or four tools, but at other times we might go small. And I think sometimes we actually do ourselves a disservice by picking players purely on form and without paying any sort of notice to what the opposition might bring. Yeah, yeah great point. Um you really should be picking your team uh, to win the matchups against your opposition, not just uh, or exploit who's them. been playing well in the past. And and while that sounds cruel, you know, it's all about winning, isn't it? Yeah, and lots of other sports yep. will do that. They will spread their roster, you know, over the course of a season, and they'll look at certain certain teams and match up a certain way. Anyway, uh, another lad who I thought has just gone. Has improved probably twenty five percent this season. I thought Josh Jenkins had a fantastic game, um, fourteen and four. Took eight marks, which is you know that's that's the number we want. Kicked three goals, uh, seven tackles as well, three inside fifties. Um, had nine contested possessions. His disposal efficiency was down, but that's probably incumbent on that kind of a role. Um, but uh, I, I just felt like Josh was uh, fantastic. When he, yeah, um, you were very, very six, critical six of him Six tackles in the inside past. 52. You were quite correctly uh, critical of him in the past. He was more, more like a, a big fat seagull hanging around for a chip now and again rather than going out getting the ball. But you just could not criticise him at the moment. No. The, the guy is just putting in effort. And, and really, uh, it must inspire the players around him, the, the effort that he's big body, putting in with his big body. And... Uh, that's exactly what you were asking for from him. And uh, you're not coaching him privately, are you, mate? <laughs> no. <laughs> he, but, um, but he really has come good. He's actually doing all the things you would have liked him to do. Well, he's done, he's done what he had to do, Macca. He has addressed elements of his game that he needed to address. And all credit to him for recognising um, his flaws and for taking on... Um, you know, not criticism, but direction from his coaches and whatnot and analysing his own game and being self-aware enough to understand where he needs to improve. And I just feel like over the last four to six weeks he's he's become far more comfortable 
accepting contact and also yep. initiating contact. Um, he is getting shitty about not getting the holding freeze. Which well, so bloody Audi. Oh. Um, but no, I, I think he is he is rising up the ranks of power forwards now. Um, and the the manner in which we fed the ball through to him through him in the first half, and and the way he was able to dictate the flow of traffic um, through strong leads and a couple of good one on ones um, in that match uh, was really indicative of the way he's improved. And I, I as it stands right now, I have no problems with Josh Jenkins being in our best twenty two. And as I think I've mentioned a couple of times, I'd be thinking long and hard about whether we would be served uh, making him our number one ruckman and bringing Elliot Himmelberg into the team. Or even Hunter. Uh, Hunter's... Hunter's uh, Himmelberg's the one because he can play forward, Nick. I don't think Hunter yeah. is going to be as powerful up forward as Himmelberg yeah, potentially you, is. Y- no, at the know. moment, yes. Um, Elliot's still growing, which is a little bit of an issue. Um, he's going to be he's nine foot up. Oh, he's... He's taller than Sauce. Um, he's he's quite <laughs> tall, but I I think he's he's finally actually starting to widen out. Mm. So he's he's got the got the height, but he started to finally get um, stocky across the shoulders, um, which is good to see that he needs to fill out that little bit because I think he will get pushed around a bit too easily at AFL level um, with how fine he used to be. Um, but he hasn't had a lot of exposure at rucking is probably what I'd like. Um, he's had to for when we've had some injuries, and he wasn't too bad. Um, yeah, he has to give five I, minutes I chop out. Like what, yeah, I, I do like what – I think Hunter deserves a chance. I think he's played really well. He's done everything you should have in the SNFL. Is he quick enough, so I would love to see him get a chance at some stage. Nicky, is he quick enough? Yeah, Hunter's actually quite quick. Um, I, I don't disagree very, that Hunter deserves very, a chance. very similar to Jenkins. Yeah, I he don't, plays very similar to Jenkins, so it would be a really nice compliment. I, I don't disagree that Hunter deserves a chance. I just don't know whether he fits into our team. And, uh, we're, you know, we're looking at, um, you know, the inevitable decline of, of Sam Jacobs over the next 12 to 18 months, in my opinion. And so some decisions are going to have to be made. And, you know, at the moment we've got Riley O'Brien, who seems to be Sam Mark II in the two, so more of the same. Um, or we've got Hunter in there, who who's shown himself to be quite capable in the ruck. But when when I look at Jenkins and his ability to, or his willingness now to get involved, and I just I just think to myself, well, we've got this lad in the twos, Elliot Himmelberg, which who is a, who was a key post, is essentially a a Peter Wright, Tom Lynch uh, kind yeah. of player, um, and you know. I just wonder whether it's an opportunity, given given that uh, the comp is moving towards more agile ruckmen who can impact the play more around the ground, like Brody Grundy, etc. That that's that's a role that Josh Josh Jenkins can play for us, and I just wonder whether it's worthwhile exploring uh, giving him more minutes um, instead of just looking for a ready made ruck replacement for Sam and and getting more of the same. Very good point you make. I'd, I'd in the kind of game, I was focusing quite a bit on Grundy just to see what impact he did over the game. Oh, I just couldn't believe how much impact he does have on the game. He's and, an, you know, he just he's an extra midfielder, and he always has been. He's always played like an extra midfielder. Yep. 
He does. Anyway, a couple of others uh, to go through. I thought Alex Keith was exceptional um, in Lovely defence. Uh, very good. Composed. Very composed, but also very aggressive in his ball movement. Um, went at 95% disposal efficiency, but he wasn't doing a Jake Kelly and kicking the ball backwards. He was being aggressive and positive with his ball movement. He had 6-12 and 12 for 18, took three marks, a couple of tackles, but uh, 11 intercept possessions as well. 10 contested possessions and, uh, as I mentioned, uh, nearly 95% disposal efficiency. We have This is another situation, I reckon, where we have three very, very good key defenders and we have the opportunity, rather than just discard one of them, uh, like many just want to, you know, oh, Hardigan's no good, blah, blah, blah. I think there are times where the matchups uh, can interchange and Hardigan might be a better matchup than Keith or Talia and vice versa and... You know, it looks like Tiles might be a bit uh, bit sore now. So you'd imagine that Keith would play the remainder of the season and Hardinger's not quite right yet. But um, having those three AFL-experienced um, key defenders is a real plus, I think. And it's great that to see Alex has come back after some real injury worries at the start of the year. Yeah, I, I like the way Nicky said it. You know, that um, he's just he's so composed when he's got the ball and... You know, it was a pressure game where there wasn't a lot of time, but he's and his usage of the ball was just represents how composed the guy is. He just seems he's, to have a very good vision to see uh, opportunities to dispose of the ball, and then he has the skills to get it there. He's very like um, Dustin Fletcher because he's got those long, gangly arms that you kind of think, you know, sometimes this guy's just going to fall over at any minute, and he sh- and he shouldn't be able to move like that and yet he can he can just get that reach in to get that punch or um and he does he does read it as so well as you said back and he can play up forward really nicely mm. as well we've had to do that um throw him up forward in the SNFL he's a great lead because people forget this is a guy who was a fast bowler he's freaking quick mm. yeah um, Lady, uh, they sat on Rory, and I, I felt like he still had influence at times, uh, despite what was the name of the lad they had on him? Um, uh, Darcy Byrne Jones. Yeah, Byrne Jones, who I thought played pretty well. Um, he yeah, he he played okay, but the thing is, okay, yeah, you took away that run from that we get from Laird, but Miller picked up that slack. Yeah. So okay, we've we've done that. We still had how many intercept marks between Keith and you know, 25 um, between Duday Keith and Duday. Instead of between Laird and Duday. Well, so we still covered had seven. it. And yet, and yet Laird, he still did some really integral stuff. He still did his great defensive work that he always does. It's like, okay, yeah, you tagged him and you didn't get all those possessions, but we had a system that was still getting that ball continuously forward into our for- into our forward line. And my impression of Ben Jones is that he's a quality young kid and uh, to only get seven touches out of him, um, probably robbing Peter to pay Paul when you consider Laird still had 18, uh, still four, pardon me, four inside 50s and six tackles and, you know, seven intercept possessions. So they certainly quelled Rory's normal output. Um, but what was it worth in the end to them? I, I don't think it was really worth the experiment, and I think that's probably my criticism of the way Hinkley coaches. Um, he's too defensive, and uh, you know I, I understand the the thought process behind sitting on Rory Laird, but um, if you're doing it at the expense of your own ball movement and your own attacking flair, then I think it's a, it's a you know it, it, 
it's self-defeating. Yeah. The guy he used has been one of their better players, so yes. And you know the the cream rises to the top. At the end of the game, we had um, Letty and Letty put on a, a spoil and then a fantastic smother at the death there to to stop Port going forward in that last minute or so. We had Jordan Gallucci, who we haven't spoken about yet, um, making some desperate attacks on the ball and really standing up tough. I mean. When you've got a bloke sitting on Laird, where where was Burn Jones when Laird was doing those things? He's out. Burn Jones is out of the play. He's not adding any value at all. So it kind of defeats the purpose, in my view, to sit on a guy like Laird because he's still going to be still going to do those inspirational things. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Huey Greenwood, I think, was very much like Ellis Yolman in terms of our assessment. Had seventeen touches, four marks, kicked goals, six tackles. 11 contested possessions, when at 76% disposal efficiency, uh, 250 metres gained. Uh, spent a bit more time on the ground than he usually does. A bit of that up forward. Um, but there's just times where you, where you look at Hugh and you shake your head and you think, God, if only you could get an engine that would let you do that, you know, for 120 minutes. He'll have a big engine next year, though, with a proper, another proper pre-season in him. Um, I hope he works on speed. He needs a little. He needs a little bit more speed. Yep, yeah, but but uh, overall, uh, he's still a great acquisition, Nicky. And um, yeah, and uh, finishing points valid. If you you keep the guy on for eighty five, ninety percent of the of the game, get his engine that big, because he he can he can win hard balls, he can win high balls, he can he, he's a very good tackler. He, he doesn't do much wrong. Mm. Um. I think we missed Seedsman. I, I, DMAC gave us his usual 16 possessions. Um, and <laughs> No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not being silly because I thought that DMAC um, got absolutely towed up by Pollock early. Um, Pollock just absolutely ran rings around him on that outer wing. And um, I don't know whether Seedsman would have had the same issues with Pollock. Um, and look, DMAC uh, laced out a couple of nice passes and did a couple of nice things, which is what David always does. Uh, went at 81% disposal efficiency, but um, I, I can't see David as a permanent 22 or a first 22 pick now. I think Seedsman uh, definitely gets picked ahead of him. Um, oh, easily. And- I think it was only because Kelly Kelly deserved to be dropped. Mm. He kind of hasn't been playing well. We'd lost Seedsman. We needed some quality to come in who we was going to do that We just needed some outside job. pace, didn't we? So, yeah. um, and Kelly's I do, not that. I do... No, I do have to actually commend him. And, yeah, I've seen somebody say, well, you know, that those last two minutes or whatever, oh, what did McKay do? He just fell over. Well, no, what he actually did was when that ball was on the outer wing, he actually put his body into Farrell and bumped Farrell out of the way. So Farrell couldn't get to the ball before it goes out. Um, and it was actually quite a smart play to do. It doesn't show up on any of the stats. But it was a way to keep that possession, or and because we had been winning the clearances so well, it was giving us a chance instead of them getting a free ball and running it into their forward line. Hmm. Um, so whilst people go, "Oh, it's Dmac, he's just falling over once again," it's like, no, actually, look at what he did. Yeah, I know. It was but- actually. Team play. Yeah, and you'll get that from David because he's a team yep. player. Um, but I, I just think the quality might have surpassed him now with a couple of additions and depending on what we do at draft um, at the end of the year. Uh, I can see David and slowly he, slipping out yeah. of best 22 and that's probably the way it should be. And he's had, you know... Yeah. 
Is this the last year of his four year? I contract? believe it is. Yeah. He, he'll, he'll get kept. He's a free on. agent. Yeah, he won't move. He'll, he'll get kept on. Uh, they'll probably, but I, I doubt whether they'll keep him on in the same capacity. And I don't think David's the type that would probably garner a lot of interest um, from other clubs, um, because there's probably a lot of players in the pool that are like him, and you probably prefer to have a young lad coming through rather than have someone like D-Mac on your list. Um, Riley Knight, uh, still low numbers. I, I didn't think he was quite as influential, although I did think that he quelled Pollock um, when he moved on him, and I think at times he spent some time running with Ollie Wines as well. So probably a more defensive game from Riley, but you know we just love his intensity and, and what he brings to the side. And what we didn't see this week, uh, and maybe that was with the inclusion of Ellis Yolman, was we didn't see him under pack so much, um, getting sucked into the play. Yeah, I thought overall he, he uh, he's not right to have a crack for the hard ball, and he, he and he doesn't let his man have a lot of latitude. I, no. I, I just thought I thought he played a pretty pretty reasonable game. Oh yeah, and yeah. I, I, I love him. I love love having him in the side because of uh, the type of player that he is. Yep, don't disagree with that at all. Um, Look, uh, it was good to see Brady back. I thought he struggled with the pace, um, but he didn't look to be favouring his knee at all. He looked to still have his yard of uh, his turn of speed. Um, so yeah, a little bit off of trying to, you know, some of the the punches and the taps. Mm. It was just that little tiny bit off. And I think he was trying really, really hard as well. Um, you know, he's very enthusiastic, and I think but yeah. there's times where you can overtry. When I don't know what's wrong with our connection tonight? Yeah. You guys yeah. drop me in and out sometimes. Oh. Keep going. And uh, but uh, you know to come up first up into a game of this quality and 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 it's as good a game that you'll play in in terms of uh, hardness and quality. Yeah. Um. And so well, I thought he struggled a little bit at first, and he got a little bit better as the game went on. And yep. next week he'll be he'll be better again. Yep, and nice, nice handball to Sloney. The encouraging thing was he spent seventy eight percent of the time on ground, which is a fantastic number um, mm. for a bloke who's been out for a year and had a couple of games back. So, all goes well for Smithers, and uh, hopefully he can get some good run back into his legs and uh, hit the ground running again next season. Um, Eddie continues to struggle; he's he's having an almost season this year, but uh, a critical goal late. Um, so, uh, I think Eddie's Eddie's almost season is. Still quite a, quite a bit better than a lot of other forward pockets. Well, yeah. Go on, mate. He's, 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 there's an incredibly high standard he's been playing at for a number of years. Well, that's yeah. true, but he's nowhere near that at the moment. No, no. I, he's not. And it's he's actually burning opportunities from set shots. And as I say, I guess everybody goes through it at some stage or other, but he's got the yips on set shots at the moment and I think that is sort of flowing into his whole game a little bit when he's got a, a snap where he, uh, where he hasn't got time to think about I mean he, he, he's got a much better chance of kicking the goal but uh, yeah. you know, at the, just at the moment he's just not on. I, I think in a game where we had 19 tackles inside 50 the fact that Eddie only had two of those is probably the most indicative stat of where he's at at the moment with his game um, because the one thing that you want out of your small forward when they're not hitting the scoreboard is defensive pressure. And it's one thing I guess I haven't noticed as much this year from, from Eddie is that defensive pressure. And 
when when we're not getting the the output from him on the on the scoreboard, uh, you want to have some output uh, defensively. And I, you know, I, I hope it's just one of those seasons for Eddie. I, I feel like he's still got a lot to give, and I do agree with you, Macaries. He's going to have to sort that goal-kicking issue out because I don't think he's going to get as many chances over the last couple of years of his career that he's had previously, and for that reason he needs to make the most of the ones he's got. But, um, yeah, only went at 33% disposal efficiency. Um, played up the ground a little bit uh, at times, which I don't mind, um, but only four score involvements as well, which is reasonably low by his standards. So, mm. anyway... Uh, probably a watching brief on Eddie for the for the remainder of the season. And same with Tex. I, I felt Tex tried really hard to impose himself on the game and it just wasn't bloody happening for him. He still took seven marks. Uh, but he only had nice the ten, contested marks. Yeah, a couple of nice contested marks. Um, only had the ten touches, uh, two tackles, three inside 50s, uh, seven contested possessions, only went at 60% disposal efficiency. Um and only gained us 200 metres. He was played deep for periods of the game, and then he, uh, and then they sort of released him uh, higher up, which I felt he was more effective when he was released higher up. Um, he looked to be moving a lot better, though. He did, but he just... Uh, I don't think the way that we're moving the ball at the moment actually suits Tex uh, or no. McGovern when McGovern's in the team. I, this, this desire from us when we get behind to want to possess the ball means that it just leads to a clogged up forward 50. And if you look at the over the last month, the difference between how our forward 50 looks and what the opposition's forward 50 looks, it's like chalk and cheese. Mm. You know, our forward 50 is always so crowded, and that's just not the kind of area that Tex is going to dominate in. So I think it's going to have to be a really big focus uh, of our uh, off-season um, is to address... Not only how we move the ball inside forward fifty, but how we how we structure up when we're trying to play that possession game. Can't argue with that. Um, Galuch was good in patches. He's still a young lad, obviously. But I tell you what, when Galuch is around the play, you can trust him. He always puts his body, and he took a couple of massive hits. Um, I think Power Pepper was one. I reckon another one might have been Wines or Boke. I can't quite remember late. Um, but he stayed s- strong over the ball. Um, and I, I, I really have loved seeing what he's got to bring to the table since he's come into the AFL team and continue to be surprised based on what he was putting up in the SANFL previously. His last five minutes of the game, and when it was clutch time, I thought he was excellent, actually. Yeah, he did. He was involved in two, three uh, vital plays. Yep, and, and which he won, and uh, uh, and one of them which led to a goal as well. So I, I, I thought the Gooch um, he stood up when it was really necessary, right in the crunch time. Yep, I agree. And okay. we've we've pointed out early on that we were noticing that you know his ability on either side of his foot, he's. They're beautiful passes, and he was still doing that towards the end of the game. Yeah, and it's just such an advantage to have that in the team. Yeah, absolutely. And I, look, I think he's going to be a very solid midfielder for us going forward. Um, you know, he seems to be. He looks most likely to be the Richie Douglas heir apparent um, in that kind of role. Can play a bit forward. Can play some really good midfield minute 
Williams. And I think, um, you know, he'll probably be that inside-outside player that we'll be looking for, um, you know, over the next couple of years. Um, and I really like the way he looked. Look, overall, and let's spend a minute just talking about the, the goal review for a second. I, I wrote an article on our website, um, Macca, that I think the easiest way to uh, to not to solve this whole uh, did the ball hit the post kind of goal review situation is just to remove the the situation where you have to review it. If it, yeah, if it hits the post and goes away. through the goals, it's a goal. If it hits the post and goes through the points, it's a point. Simple. I've always thought that a hundred percent. That is exactly what should happen. You just remove that one factor. Yep. It doesn't matter if it's it's a post, and in any other sport, it doesn't matter either. Exactly you know, right. If, if it, if, you know, if it, as long as it goes in, and like in soccer, it goes across the line. Yep. But I, to, for me, I'm a big, big G for um, as long as it goes through a particular area, it doesn't matter if it nicks the post or not, because it's gone through where it's supposed to go through. Okay. Game well, over. Well, here's the and logic. what it does is it, it also takes into account that you've got different size goalposts, you've got different size padding. Yep. Well, yep, here, here's, the, here's the logic, right? When we look at it, the goalpost is just a line, right? It just it's a it's a vertical line that indicates the point where the goals goal, the scoring area transitions from a goal to a point or out of bounds, right? It's yep. just a line. Now, in every other case on an AFL football field, the ball has to cross the line completely before you get the negative response. So the ball's got to be completely over the boundary line before it's out of bounds, right? Yep. If the ball hits the post, it hasn't completely crossed the line, has it? So why are we actually scoring to the negative? It should still be in play. If the ball actually bounces back in, it should be play on. But to my way of thinking, if the ball nicks the post on the way through, that's irrelevant because it actually hasn't crossed completely into the point-scoring zone. And well, as with I'm every other rule in the game, that's play on. That's, that's, like, it's, it's logical to do that. Well, I, I think it's logical. And uh, actually, I've been an advocate of that for about three years because... Um, uh, there's always been all these arguments about the cameras and all the rest of it, and uh, is it or isn't it? And just it just removes the whole argument. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It brings us in line, as you said, with every other professional sporting code on the planet. Like you can shoot a basketball goal, and it can bounce around on the ring for half an hour and go in, and it's a goal. You can shoot a soccer goal or a hockey goal, and it can go in off the bloody crossbar or the, or the yep. side poles, and it's a goal. Rugby league's the same, NFL's the same. We are the only sport on the planet that brings the post into play in terms of how we score the game. And I think it's just it's a complexity that we don't need and it actually uh, contradicts the other rules. And just we're still going to have a need for goal line reviews because there's, you know, you need the goal line and whether it's touched and all the rest of it. But to my way of thinking, whether it hit the post is probably the hardest thing to get right from a technology point of view. Um, so the easiest way to solve it and to, to bring about some consistency is just treat it as a line and if the ball nicks the post on the way through, who gives a damn? The other thing, just about uh, speaking about this particular goal, um, the, if, if the uh, umpire, the third umpire, had said uh, umpire's call, there would be no fuss whatsoever. Uh, just because he said put up goal instead of umpire's call, 
Then and then JJ then said he thinks that it hit the post. I don't think anybody knows for certain whether it did hit the post or not. Yet uh, we've got their coach having a big outpouring on it, saying that the AFL has got a. No, 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 Hinckley. I have no problem with what Hinckley said. No, the basis of what he said was correct, but he was also making it on the one assumption that that it did hit the post, and none of us actually know whether it hit the post or not. Uh, Yeah, none of us know, and that's the reason why it wasn't overturned, because it was inconclusive. I think the issue is that we should have had the technology in place to be able to make the right call. The technology needs to be consistent across all grounds, and the camera angles that you get at Etihad are nowhere near what you get at Adelaide Oval. Um, but And that's because the AFL refuses to yeah, pay the money to do it. Exactly. And makes the local Oval, their management committee, they have to put it in. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, AFL, this is your rules, you want it, yeah. and you pay for it. Yeah, and the, the, the other thing about the whole thing is it, let's, well, for one wild moment, assume that it did hit the post and incorrectly got called a goal. It's one wrong decision for the whole day. There would have been, uh, with the number of frees paid, 12 and 13, there would have been umpteen frees that could have been paid either way. There would have been frees paid incorrectly either way, and yet, yeah, we're focusing on the, on this particular one, mainly because JJ made the comment that he did. But um, by the same by the same token, it's only one of the potential errors for the for the whole game. Well, so the thing I don't think the, they can't say that that one thing cost them the game. The the issue that I did have with Hinckley's presser is the fact that when he was questioned about the impact of Wine's horrific miss, he just said, "Oh, you know, Ollie made a skill error, and you know he'll learn from that." Well. I don't. I don't think you can actually say that. You can't, on the one hand, brush off a skill error that a player makes, and then go hammer and tongs at a, a goal umpiring decision when the goal umpiring decision was made correctly based on the information that was available. There was there was nothing incorrect about that process. It was purely that there was not the right camera angle to make um, any any further conclusive call. But Ken Hinckley. I'm not interested in coaches hanging players out to dry, but I think Ken needed to acknowledge the fact that Ollie and also that other lad that sprayed one earlier on in the last quarter, I forget his name, um, who was it? Might have been Farrell. It could have been Farrell, yep. Um, who sprayed one. Both of them laying the ball across the boot where they could have kicked drop punts. Um, you know, there's two opportunities. And, and Port did blow their opportunities in the last quarter through bad skill errors, and you know, I think Ken uh, went a bit light on Ollie Wines. Uh, Ollie Wines is a senior player; he should keep that goal every second, every every game, every day of the week. So, you know, it, we had plenty of chances. He acknowledged rightly that uh, we, statistically we deserved to win the game. Um, they had their chances to win it. They didn't take advantage of those chances. And I did feel when Ollie missed that shot at goal, I did feel that that was the moment. That like if he didn't nailed that goal, that would have been it for us. And the, and when he didn't, uh, I just felt like you know that that was the opening of the door that we needed to to jag it, and that's exactly how it turned out. Yeah, it was. It was a turning point of the game. Uh, you know, Ollie Wines kicks what he should have kicked, and what you know, ninety nine times out of a hundred, you'd expect yeah. a player from that range to do a normal drop punt and yep. just kick a goal. Yeah, and uh, he went with a fancy kick and. Put it very bluntly, he effed it. Yeah, well, he? he did. He did. He messed it up. 
All right. Well, look, uh, final comments on the game from mine. Um, you know, <laughs> mathematically, we're still in it. Um, I don't know whether that actually serves our purpose from a from a from a longer term perspective, but it gives the players a, a reason to uh, to get up and, and try again against GWS next week in the freezing cold on a Saturday night at Bloody Monica, which who knows why they scheduled that game on a Saturday night, but anyway. Um, and uh, it was nice to see a sustained um, effort from the Crows, um, uh, you know, albeit against a, a team that, that traditionally we were able to bring that effort with. Yeah, look, it was it was a, a game that deserved to be on at prime time and broadcast across the nation uh, rather than hidden away at four forty on Foxtel uh, or four ten on Foxtel. Um, it it was I thought it was an outstanding game to watch, and it's not necessary in the sense of the quality of football, but in terms of the intensity of the effort of both sides and. Um, you know, there was no player taking a backward step. I thought it just was a, a, a massive struggle, an intensive struggle, and that's why there were errors in the game. But by the same token, um, it was interesting to hear a lot the Victorian commentators themselves saying that we they'd like to see these games transferred to prime time, and uh, because they they do tend. We have a look at the two uh, showdowns for the year, um, both. Uh, decided by less than a goal and with different results each time. Yep. Um, and we have to move this along because we've gone for an hour and a half again because we just rabbit on like idiots. Um, so let's and, I, quick... and I've got a few cockwombles. Yeah, so, well, there's really only one, uh, and I'll reveal that, Nikki, when we get there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> let's quickly go the breakout award because there were a few uh, eligible players as usual. So WMJ, Tom Diday, um, does Alex Keith qualify? That's an interesting question. I don't think we've... Uh, yeah, He's Alex Keith. Old. No. Too it's old. A 25, no, we're not talking about bloody um, Rising Star. We're talking about our breakout award, Macca, which is 25 oh. games. Right. Yeah, he qualifies. Yeah, he qualifies. So he qualifies. Uh, Huey... Um, uh, Jordan and Lockie Murphy. So I think it's probably out of WMJ and Tom today. Would you think? Yeah. Honorable mention to Keith. Yep. Um, I've only watched three quarters, so it probably needs to be up to you two guys. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. What? Don't Yeah. Well, I'm going to go to Miller. <laughs> so shall I shall I tie break this with my only watching the three quarters? You're going to have to, Nick. And then I think I'll give it to um, Junior. Junior for as, mu- as much as I, I love Tom um, and how well he's played, I just think that that coming back from those fumbles and everything else, continuing to um, you know play that way, we had Laird being tagged. He became really integral. Yep, agree. Let's go to the Jet of the Week award. I reckon Bryce with an honourable to JJ and 
Rory Atkins. Uh, agreed. Yeah. I like the sound of that. Too easy. Oh, we have that now. Do we need a wake up award this week? I'm not sure. There's probably a couple of blokes that could do with a waking up. So let's see. Tommy Lynch, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, he looked injured. He couldn't turn. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think if anybody was, could be accused of dropping out of the game and also not perhaps playing with extreme intensity early on, I think he's the one. Yeah, I, I, there weren't too many others. I mean, Source had an indifferent game, but I didn't think it was terrible. Uh, Tex tried. Lucky Murphy had limited opportunities and... You know, young lad, and Tars was injured. So, I, yeah, it's going to have to Murphy be. Murphy still did some nice proactive stuff when you know he got the opportunity. Yeah. That that handball to the yeah. even though he, he missed the goal. That that was an awesome handball. Yeah. yeah, he's a hard nut too, Lockie Murphy. I like the look of him. Wouldn't hurt to give it to Lynchy. All right, Lynchy, it is now. Nikki, over to you for the cockline ball. There is one that's kind of outstanding that I think um, at the end of this we might actually decide that probably won the Cockwomble for the year because of a bit of stupidity that was done and, and it's only August, but I don't think anybody can top it. But um, I think we have to kind of give it to uh, ports, a nomination to the Port supporters who think that not only should they see all of the vision for that um, goal kick that the AFL had decided against, they also need to bring in a Supreme Court induc- uh, injunction so that they can get their four points that they deserve. Yeah. There was um, actually a petition on change.org as well. I know. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, like seriously? Come on. Um, that, that's, that's kind of funny. Um, so there is that. Um, I'm actually going to name this person, so I just have to click to the other page. So there's a bloke on Instagram uh, who goes by at Danz O'Brien. Ooh, name and shame. Well, Tex posted the direct message that was sent to him, uh, which was, uh, you are the shittiest, C word, please kill yourself. Uh, Dan O'Brien, who has zero followers and 29 posts, uh, apparently gone private very quickly on Instagram, but I think you might want to understand that the South Australian police might want to have a bit of a chat with you because you kind of can't say things like that. So that's a bit stupid. Yeah, well, stupid comment from a stupid idiot. And and actually well done on um, text for actually posting that and, you know, things like that, unfortunately, I think do need to... Uh, to come out. There's been a lot uh, of stories in the – sorry, Nick, just to interrupt. There's been a lot of stories about um, fan stalking in American professional sport yes. too. And it's the last thing we need over here and it's the nature of the beast, unfortunately, but people have just got to grow up a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah if, if you're not going to say it to somebody directly to their face, you do not post it. Even like trying to hide behind a, a – you do not do it in direct message or even um, in another one. Um, so that's – yep. Don't do that. Um, 
Uh, Kane Corns for just being a numpty because he is. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. But the ultimate, the ultimate can, can, winner, before, I think, of the you, for the year. Before you do that climactic one, I'd just like to nominate Crowcast. Yeah, yeah what did we do? Oh, it's a case of what we didn't do. Kirtley Hampton retired a couple of weeks ago, and we got so caught up in other stuff that we actually forgot to even mention it either on this one or, more importantly, on the Tuesday Night Live cast. So we're a bunch I of cop. We had, no, I, we never I did. Thought, I we didn't we? never I did. I thought we had talked about it. No, we talked about before he retired, about how he didn't look uh, right and all the rest of it, but we didn't no. actually acknowledge when Kirtley retired. And um, a lot of us had high hopes for Kirtley, um, and rightly so, because he had spades or oodles of talent and, um, you know, talent in spades and... Uh, it's unfortunate uh, that he's lost the passion, uh, but we do want to recognise his service uh, to the Crows and wish him all the best uh, for the future. And for that, we get a little Cockwomble nomination of our own this week. Fair enough. Now, can can I have some fun? Yep, now go for it. Gil McLaughlin, (laughs) you wanker. Hey. No, sorry, go on there. Have you got footage? He he is the ultimate cockwombling numbnut. For somebody who is in charge of a national sporting organisation. AFLW. (laughs) Well, no, I I think it's his lack of knowledge of another sport that is actually one of his main competitors, particularly around attracting juniors to the game in order to grow the game because a lot of their decisions they make, apparently, you know, we want, we need these kids to be playing the game when they're younger. To him to not understand that the World Cup does not take place over four weeks. No, that's just the finals. It actually, that's just the finals. There's 18 months before that in order to get to the finals. Two years in some cases. Yeah, and so he was completely stupidly um, oblivious. To He's just an idiot. What, I mean, what, what are they doing? Are reducing. They're increasing. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Gil's just a hollow vessel. vessel. I, I reckon he's actually out. losing his shit lately. He's he's yeah. lurching from one crisis to another, and I think he's actually losing a handle on on like losing direction. He's just it's it smacks of bloody a politician trying to desperately hang on to power when when his party's going down the toilet. He's just making these snap captain call decisions, and they're all fails. Yeah, he's got no substance, unfortunately. I mean, he got. We actually saw with the media about the whole thing about trialing stuff within game, going, "Oh, but the, the, those games, they won't mean anything." Kind of forgetting that they actually mean draft positions. It actually has quite a few ramifications, and it also means that there's a lot of teams that might have those teams' actual draft positions, so they could be impacting teams that are higher on the ladder than by these stupid games which being um, targeted you know, and everything. The other thing is that um, hilariously to do with that, they got the media to kind of push that narrative, oh, this is such a great idea. And the huge backlash and outcry from the public made them, they then had to backtrack it again going, oh, actually, no, this is not good. 
this whole AFLW thing is just another PR nightmare. When he's Um, got Daisy Pearce coming out against him, you know you've done the wrong thing because Daisy... Yeah. Daisy would toe the line uh, quite readily, uh, so the fact that even she's annoyed um, probably says quite a bit. And, and that's where the growth has. I mean, you just look at South Australia. In 2015, we had two divisions with, I think, 10 teams. We now have six divisions. We have two under-18 under divisions. We've got, and I think there's, I'm not sure if it's one or two under-16 divisions, which is um, as well. So it's just... Absolute. The growth in the game is insane, and and that's on the back of we're able to see AFLW games, think, and they want to cut it back even more. It's, I think it's the thing ridiculous. With, I think the thing that everyone takes offence with with Gill is they, he spent two years pumping the shit out of AFLW. Right, it was the best thing since sliced bread. It was the biggest growth opportunity. We love to have women involved in the game. Blah 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 blah. And then when it's inconvenient because they have schedules and they want to imp- introduce another team and therefore it's not going to fit, you know, he's quite quick to then go, oh, well, you know, we can we can do six weeks. I mean, the World Cup does it in four. I mean, it, it was that dismissive attitude and yep. that lack of consultation, I think. And I think this is probably an area that the 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 AFLW as a collective are going to need to take control of pretty quickly because... Um, they uh, there are decisions being made on their competition by another competition. So the AFL will only ever schedule and run AFLW at the convenience of the AFL. And I think at some point there's going to be a need for there to be almost uh, almost a separate commission for AFLW and that it actually runs... You know, in in conjunction with the AFL, but certainly has the ability to to, to um, look after its its own competition. Because I don't reckon the AFL are ever going to look after the AFLW competition because it's always going to be run at the convenience of the men's competition. Nicole Livingston hasn't. She had. I don't think she said peep about any of this. And yet she's apparently the head commission you know, for the, the women's yeah, side of it in the like AFL. Said, she's been I mean, bloody silent. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is when you come out and actually say yeah. something. At least the AFLPA has actually come out and said something and there's so many of the AFLW players just across the leg have just gone pretty bunter at the AFL over this. Um, but when he kind of came out and said it, I just wondered whether he was angling for a job at Cricket Australia. Yeah, well, where did Adrian Anderson go? He went to soccer, so maybe that's why he referred to World Cup. Maybe Gil wants to go to yeah. soccer next. You know, we've got to tie it up. Just, just one quick cockwomble for um, today. To Carlton, I think they get a cockwomble because when GWS only had 17 men on the field, GWS still managed to kick a goal, and then they had only 16 men on the field, and they managed to kick three points and another goal. <laughs> well done, Carlton. Uh, I reckon that's a pretty good spot for us to finish up because we've gone for a world record one hour and 46 minutes, not including the stuff up. <laughs> Thanks to everyone on the chat. There's a 700 comments. Fantastic. Sorry to those who wanted to listen to us on Facebook tonight. We'll fix that up. Uh, you can uh, listen to us on demand on Facebook, obviously. Follow us on Twitter, aflcrowcast.com. See you on Tuesday night. Night all. Yeah, good night all.